My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. And as Mark said earlier, we're starting a brand new series called Wreck the Roof. It's kind of funny. I just preached this over at Salem where we literally put a new roof on a couple months ago. (laughs) They're like, are we sure we should do that? That seems like a bad... Not really a literal title. In fact, actually, we got the title from a guy named Kyle Eidelman, a pastor who wrote a book called Not a Fan. We did that series here years ago, or a series on that years ago. And uh, really, as we were reading this, I really felt it was a very timely word uh, for us as a church. It's a series that's all about um, being courageous to bring our friends to Jesus. It's what it's all about. And it's really something that God calls all of us to do. Remember, he gave us that great commission, go into all the world and preach the good news. Uh, And that's what we're called to do. Um, And sometimes we get a little worried about this. We get nervous, like, oh, no, how do I do that? I don't know if I can do that. And I believe that in this series that God is going to use this to inspire us, uh, to empower us, uh, to be even more effective at bringing our friends to him. I want to tell you today about a few friends who uh, actually, literally, wrecked a roof in order to bring their friend to Jesus. They were in the town, a town called Capernaum, and Capernaum is a small town right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. This is uh, some of the modern-day ruins of it. Um, It's an incredible little place. It would have been a small fishing town in Jesus' day. It was the town where Jesus most likely made his home during his three-year ministry here on earth. Um, It was a very just normal kind of place. If you were in Capernaum at the time, it would be very normal to encounter a smelly fisherman driving his pickup truck with the dog in the back, right? Like, it's just kind of a normal people's kind of town. And, uh, but on this day, there were some very abnormal guests in town. You see, a bunch of religious leaders had descended upon this small town of Capernaum. This is very early in Jesus' ministry, and Jesus had just done something incredible. He had healed a man with leprosy. And for us, we're like, yeah, we know that. He healed a lot of people. That's great. But that wasn't the case for the Jewish leaders. You see, they, had, they were watching for this promised Messiah, the one who would come to free them from the Romans. They didn't expect the Messiah to be divine. They expected the Messiah to be someone used by God to, to bring about this freedom. And they had a few ways that they taught that you would know that a person was the Messiah. And one of those ways was that they would heal leprosy. Because they believed, this is not really biblical, but they had a belief that leprosy was directly caused by God. They believed it was a severe punishment for sins, either for your sins or for your parents' sins. Leprosy was a terrible disease. Uh, It eats away at the flesh, eventually kills the person, and there was no cure at the time. It was also highly contagious, so a person with leprosy would be banished kind of to a leper colony where they would live out their days waiting for this terrible death. It was an awful thing. It was an awful thing to have. And Jesus had cured, had healed a leper and then sent him to the priest to be examined to be, so he would be approved to come back into society. And so, of course, the religious leaders heard about this and they were all abuzz. Could this be? Could this be the Messiah sent from God? So they came from all around. They came to Capernaum, and they were packed in this little house where Jesus is at, and, uh, and, and he is uh, talking with them. Well, on the other side of town, there was a guy in a very different situation. He was a man who was paralyzed. 
And all, this is also a very terrible place to be uh, in those times, especially because you didn't have much for social services, so you were reliant upon your friends and your family members to help you out. This is how you get from place to place. This is how you're fed and cared for and all these things. And so this man has a really difficult life. Well, his friends hear that Jesus is here and Jesus is teaching, and his friends get inspired. They decide that they want to take this man to Jesus. So they come up to him, and they run up, and they said, Hey, great news. Jesus healed a leper. And if he can heal a man with leprosy, he could probably heal you too, right? So we're going we're to take you over across town. We're going to go see Jesus, and, and, and maybe, just maybe, he'll heal you too. Now imagine how the man must have felt. I can imagine his heart was going 100 miles an hour, right? I know mine would have been. This could be, God, let this be the day that I've been praying for, that I've been looking for for so long. Please, would you heal me? Don't, don't let me be disappointed again. You know how long I've been praying for this. You know, you know how much I want this in my life. Luke 5, 17 says this. One day while Jesus was teaching, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. It takes an awful lot of faith to carry your friend across town like this. And they're hoping that Jesus is going to heal, but when they arrive, disappointment once again. Verse 18. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. Oh, man, thanks guys. Thanks. thanks for bringing me. It was really kind of you. I guess this is just like God's will for me. This is how I'm going to be. God obviously doesn't want to heal me. I mean, Jesus is there in his house and he healed a man who had leprosy. That's worse than me, but I don't know. I guess that's just how it is for me. And it would be easy for him to lose faith, for them to lose faith, and well, you know, we tried, you know, but these guys were not just your normal folks, right? These were not the type of folks who, you know, they, like, they get to the church and they're like, ah, parking lot's kind of full, let's just kind of go to brunch. Don't worry about it, right? No, don't worry about it. Oh, there's snow in the forecast in the next eight days. We won't bother, right? No, this is not these people, right? They are people, they're like people of great faith that Jesus is going to move in power. And, and so they will not quit. They will not give up that easily. And they are an awesome example for us, friends, because when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, we do not quit. We don't quit because Jesus changes lives, and it's not our power, it's his power. So we don't quit praying for those who don't know Jesus. We don't quit serving them. We don't quit loving them. We don't quit sharing about what Jesus is doing in our lives. And this doesn't mean that we're obnoxious or rude or something like that, but we don't give up on them. I know some of you, you have been praying for years, even decades for somebody. Maybe it's one of your family members, one of your children or grandchildren. Maybe it's someone you love. Maybe it's a coworker or a friend. Don't quit. 
Maybe you've invited before and three years ago they said no. And like, well, I guess they never want to come. Don't stop inviting them. Maybe Jesus is, maybe he's working in their lives now. We don't quit because they didn't quit. Because they believed in the power of Jesus to change lives. They believed in the power of Jesus to save. They believed in the power of Jesus to heal. And so that's why they had brought their friend, and they weren't going to give up that easily. Now, whenever you got a group of friends, and especially if one of those friends is a male, you have a good chance of having someone called the crazy idea guy in your little group. And the crazy idea guy is one who just throws out ideas all the time that are often crazy, and, and he doesn't even expect everybody to act on it. It's just that's his specialty, his ideas, right? Maybe you have one of those friends. If you don't have one of those friends, you probably are the crazy idea guy. <laughs> you just don't know it, right? But, you know, sometimes when the crazy idea guy gets an idea like this, people act on it. And I wonder, I think what happened that day is they're standing there and they're disappointed, but they're not going to quit, right? And the guy is discouraged. He's kind of down about it. Like, well, I guess we could just go back home. And they're like, no, no, we did not carry your heavy rear end all the way across town to give up this easy. Okay, we're not just stopping now. Crazy idea guy looks up and he sees the roof and he gets a twinkle in his eye. And we got to understand how houses were in that day. They're kind of one story deals and they often had a staircase outside of the house. They were pretty small houses, but you could go upstairs to the roof. Uh, they'd often go do this at nighttime to sleep when it had been a real hot day and the inside of the house was still warm. They might sleep up there. Um, it was just some extra space on your house there. And so he sees these stairs, and he gets the twinkle, and the other guys see it too, and they know what he's thinking. And they pick up the mat, and they start walking up the steps. And I have to think that in the crowd, there's like an insurance adjuster that day who's like, this may not be covered under the homeowner's policy. You're aware, right? Bad idea, guys. But they don't quit, because their faith is not in them. Their faith is in Jesus. And they just know that if they could get their friend in front of Jesus, he could heal them. He could heal him. He could change his life. And their faith that this could happen is so big, they'll do something crazy. They will literally wreck a roof, right? Verse 19 says it this way. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Can you picture this? You've got Jesus, and you've got a room full of religious leaders, right? Uh, and, and they're like, it, you know, it takes a pretty big hole in a roof to let a guy through it, right? Like, you can't just drop him straight, right? You've got to have a big old hole in this roof. And, like, I'm seeing the Pharisees there, and they're getting roofing materials on their robe. And, like, this is what we get when we come to this little Galilee, you know, like this stupid Capernaum. Like, people making holes in the roof while you're trying to talk to Jesus. Do we not know, do they, do they not know who we are? Like, this should not be happening now, right? Was it right for them to do this? Sure was courageous, that's for sure. But you know when you think about it, you have here a house full of people who's having a little convention on Jesus' healing power, okay? And outside the house is a man in obvious need of Jesus' healing power. 
So you've got a house full of people who could have, should have made a way for this guy to get in. I mean, if we're going to talk about how Jesus could heal, why don't we just actually give him a chance to heal somebody, right? That kind of makes sense. Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they make a way? Well, I mean, we could be cynical and say they just didn't care. They, they just, you know, whatever, you know, that's, that's his problem. But I doubt it. I doubt it. My guess is that they're in this house, and they're comfortable in this house, and they're talking with Jesus, and they're not even aware of what's going on out there. I doubt it was an intentional decision. It was just a, a, a function of being so comfortable in the house. And this, my friends, is something we've got to watch out for, okay? Because if we think of this metaphorically for us as followers of Jesus, when we've been in the house long enough, well, sometimes we forget about the people outside of the house. It happens so easily. We become Christian, and at first we want to invite everybody. We want to tell our friends about Jesus because he's changed our lives, and we want him to change their lives too. But then in time, we're around for a while, and, and we get comfortable, we get cozy. A lot of our friends are now followers of Jesus. And, and yeah, we know there's a world out there that needs to know about him, and, and, and we want them to know. It's not that we don't care. It's not like, ah, eh, you know, they can go to hell. We don't care. It's not that. But we get comfortable in the house. And we get cozy here. And it's us, and it's Jesus, and there's good music, and it's, com- and it's comfortable, and it's nice, and like, we're all right. We're all right. And you know, I read a pastor, his name is Mark Buchanan, and he said this about this exact thing. He said, we are being the crowd when the experience of those inside the house is prioritized over the needs of those outside the house. Churches fall into this really easily. We do. Because we see everything in front of us. We get focused on this. And we forget the fact that we are here not just for us. We're here for the world. That today there are tens of thousands of people within a very short drive of us who are at home, who are not watching a church service online. They're not participating that way. They just don't know Jesus. And it's not that they're by and large, angry with him or whatnot, they don't know him. They perhaps haven't had an opportunity to get to know him. And sometimes we get so fixated on what we want and what would be nice for us that we forget about them. Tom Rayner is a guy who studies churches, and he said this. He said, when the preferences of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. We've been around for like 200 years here. You don't stick around for 200 years if your focus is just on you. Because if it is, you, you forget about the needs of the world, you forget about the, about the call to share the good news with others, and that kind of church is one generation out from death. You can pretty much start the clock. If you don't change that mentality, it's not likely for that church to go on. You see, we're here today because people for generations have been wrecking roofs. 
People for generations have been willing to say, we will put aside our preferences, our desires, our whatever, because there's a world out there who needs to know Jesus. So this place needs to be as well calibrated towards that as it possibly can be. I could tell you about ways that we do that. We're just going to focus on one today, do a little vignette of it, because uh, it's a ministry called Embrace Grace. You've heard of it, I'm sure. It's pretty new in the past few years. And the reason we chose this one to highlight today is because this ministry started off very similar to the story we're telling. When we started Embrace Grace, it was not a success. And yet, we didn't quit. The leaders of that, they stuck with it, they persevered, and I want to show you what God's doing. Let's check this out together. When we first started Embrace Grace at Anderson Hills back in 2019, uh, we were so excited to pour out our love on single moms and get this group going, throw some baby showers, but it took a lot longer than we thought. Um, and we faced some discouragement with that. So um, we tried to launch in 2020. You can probably guess how that went. Um, there were some roadblocks with COVID and it just took a lot longer for us to get our name out there into the pregnancy centers. And so um, our team just still continued to meet. The prayer team met to pray. We continued to do training videos. And, um, but it got to the point where we were like, is this really worth it? We're putting hours and hours into this ministry and we still haven't served one girl. I remember at the end of 2021, we were about to start um, another semester in, a, in about a month, and we had no girls signed up. And um, I remember feeling like, I'm gonna go to my team and just see where they're at and see, do we wanna just call it quits? Do we wanna um, just wait till the spring? Maybe people will be more comfortable meeting in person. And um, I get an email from a girl named Danielle um, who was really in a, in a dark place and in desperate need of support. And she reached out to me and immediately I was just like, oh my gosh, this is all worth it if just for one person. And shortly after that, I got another call from um, our friend Kaya and then, um, and then a call from Jalisha, who's right here, um, and then Brooke as well. So we ended up having a group of four. And I was a new single mom here in Cincinnati from Alabama, so I didn't have friends or family here. I didn't have any support besides the boyfriend that I was currently with at the time. And so they gave me a flyer. I called the number, Ashley picked up the phone. We connected, we met up, we had coffee and we discussed like more about the group, I signed up. Being in this group, I found friends who became family. And they were always there for me. I can call them at any time. And they showed a lot of love for me and my babies. It helped all of us grow together. And then it also was centered around God, which we all needed. <laughs> Like one of our first groups, or maybe it was in the first few weeks, you said to us, okay, what's after Embrace Grace? And we were like, oh, there's Embrace Life. And you're like, okay, well, what's after Embrace Life? Because I don't want to stop being with you guys. And so you were like, I'm going to be a leader one day. <laughs> yep. And sure enough, as soon as Jalisha graduated from Embrace Life, uh, we invited her to be a part of the leadership team. And it was just the best decision ever, seeing how you've taken that role and, and run with it. And just like you, you persevered and you sought the Lord and you trusted him through everything that you've been through. And you're such a good mom to your girls and just seeing you love them um, makes me so happy. Ashley, I'm just glad that you did not give up and you were faithful to God because if you would have gave up, me and including the other 16 ladies, 
and the babies, no telling what would have happened. And for me, it encourages me to get out and keep pushing for God. But to be a child of God, we have to work in it daily. We have to, you know, get up and do something about it. That's the season I'm walking in. Like, you want to be a child of God, get out there and be big about it. So share the word, share your testimonies, invite people to church, and, you know, live in it and be a walking testimony in it. Since we first started Embrace Grace, we've had 16 moms go through the program. We've had four baby showers, and we've had two semesters of Embrace Life where seven women have uh, gone through that program too, which is like the sequel to Embrace Grace. Um, we've had six professions of faith in Christ for the very first time, and many more women just deepening their walk with Jesus and recommitting their lives to Him. So often through this journey, honestly, I've doubted myself in like leading this thing and wondering like, what do I even have to offer? these girls and I just like take one look at you and the other girls and I'm like oh my gosh it's not me it's the gospel like I I have it because of Jesus like Jesus really is the hope of the world he really is the only answer for hopelessness and suffering and just seeing what these moms have walked through and being able to offer them life change and hope is just the most incredible thing and it's not by anything that I do it's the gospel that I've received that I can just pass on Amen. Amen. We don't quit. Can you imagine if they would have quit? We've got several girls who've given their life to Jesus. We've got a number of uh, wonderful new babies. We've got, and the ministry is growing. Now it's being led by folks who are graduates of the ministry, right? This is the power of God. It is not something we could do on our own. Even we, we all come together, we partner together on this. We have people in this church that are great at decorating, and they decorate for the showers. There's people who give gifts. There's people who give money. Uh, there's people um, who uh, pray. Uh, there's people who disciple the girls. There's people in all these different ways that we come together as a church. And this is just one of many examples, friends, of, of wrecking the roof of saying that we want to do whatever it takes to get people in front of Jesus because I strongly believe in the power of Jesus to change lives. I can't tell you how strongly I believe in that. I do not believe in the power of John to change any life at all. I believe in the power of Jesus to change lives. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through him. And so we want to get people in front of Jesus because he brings healing. He brings freedom. And it's more than just physical needs. It's spiritual needs. This is exactly what he did for the man in, uh, in the book of Luke here. If we look at verse 20, it says this. He's dropped in front of Jesus, and it says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's a man. It's very obvious why he's in front of Jesus. We brought him in because everybody around there is sinners, right? We don't need to drop sinners through the roof here. He's dropped through the roof because he's paralyzed and because we can't get him in through the crowd because we've got to carry him in, literally. But that's not Jesus' focus. And in saying this, your sins are forgiven, I think Jesus irritated, well, we know he irritated at least one and maybe two groups in the room. Uh, one was the religious leaders. Uh, we'll get back to them in a second. But two, I wonder if it irritated the friends. They'd be like, really? His sins? We brought him here because he's paralyzed. I don't want to have to carry this guy across town. I mean, that's great about the sins, but can't we, you know, come on, Jesus. This is your deal, right? And, and of course, he's going to heal him. But he deals with the central thing first. That for all of us, 
Yeah, we, we're in need of healing in various ways, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional. But our core problem is our sins. Our sins separate us from God. So you see, when the church does ministry, it's not just like a nice social service. It is a spiritual act of putting people in front of Jesus that he may change their lives, that he may heal from sin. So, so yeah, we feed people who are, who are hungry. The reason why? Because we want them to know Jesus. We want them to experience forgiveness. We want them to have both physical food and spiritual food. Yeah, we, we love on young moms. Yes, absolutely. Why? Because we want to help them to be able to have their babies and be, be able to be great parents. But more importantly, we want them to know Jesus because we believe that he's the hope of the world. We believe that he, is, that he truly is the light, that he is the one who they need in their lives, just like I need Jesus in my, lives, in my life. So Jesus, he, he forgives sins, and he also heals. Of course, this forgiveness business would get the religious leaders riled up. Verse 21 says this, But the Pharisees, teachers of religious law, said to the, themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Now that right there is funny. <laughs> you, they're questioning, if could Jesus really be God? And what does he do? He reads their thoughts and answers the question. <laughs> That'll mess with you right there. When you didn't even tell him the question and he goes and answers it, right? But but he's, what he's doing here is he's demonstrating to them that he is not who they think he is. They've come to see if he is the promised Messiah, which he is, but he's a whole lot more than what they're expecting. They want somebody to cast off Rome. Well, that's not really Jesus' business. He's here for something a whole lot more. He's here to solve the problem that began in the Garden of Eden. He's here to solve the sin wall that we put up between us and God. He's here so that we can be united with God both now and throughout all of eternity. He's here to bring the kingdom of God right here on this earth. That's what Jesus is all about. And yes, there'll be physical healing. Yes, there'll be miracles. These are signs of God's power so that when we see these things, we say, yes, God is real. He's alive and he's powerful. But the healing, the forgiveness, this is what is central. Continues on, verse 23. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Everyone there was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Wow! Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine seeing this? I mean, a paralyzed guy dropped down through the roof, and he gets up and walks out of the place because Jesus healed him. Jesus is proving to them that he has this authority because they connected sin and physical issues like this. Either he sinned or his parents. <laughs> Jesus, he's God. So he can forgive sins and he can bring the healing as well. This is what Jesus does for this man. But there's one thing in this story that we must not miss. If we go back to verse 20, notice why Jesus healed. It says, seeing 
their faith. He said to him, young man, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that interesting? You would have thought, he said, seeing his faith. And it's not to say the man didn't have faith. He can be included in the they, right? But it's clear that this is not just about this one man's faith. Jesus is impressed by the collective faith that he sees from this man and his friends, seeing their faith. Isn't that intriguing? And if you think about it in your life, every person in this room is a follower of Jesus because somebody tore off a roof for you. Maybe you're like me and it was multiple somebodies. I can see them all in my mind right now. And I thank God for those people who tore off roofs so that I could know Jesus. Because I wouldn't have just found him on my own accord. Somebody invited you, or somebody shared with you, or somebody prayed for you, or somebody gave money so that, so that there could be a place so that you could hear about Jesus. Somebody didn't give up on you when you were being a brat. Somebody was there for you to encourage you, to invite you, to show you that Jesus is real and alive and powerful. And that means that we all have a responsibility. Because as people who are here, because somebody tore off a roof for us, we got to be willing to tear off some roofs for them. And friends, I just want to say that's, that's an individual thing, but it's also a collective thing for us as a church. We've got to be willing to, to do some radical things to reach people for Jesus, because that's why he's put us here. That's why we are here. Friends, I declare that this is going to be a year of tearing off the roof at Anderson Hills Church. It's going to be a year of tearing off the roof at Anderson Hills Church that we are called. We are called by God to be a place where people can be let down right in front of Jesus, where they can experience Jesus, where their lives can be healed, where their, their, their lives can be changed by His grace, by His love, by His power. So let's do that. Let's tear off some roofs in Jesus' name. Jesus, thank you so much for your power, your healing power, your life-transforming power. I thank you for your grace that is greater than my sins, than all of our sins. I thank you for a story of faith, a story of faithful friends who were willing to do anything to get their buddy in front of Jesus. God, may we be that kind of church, a church who is not so consumed by our own comfort, but instead we are consumed with the lost. We are consumed by the fact there are people out there who are dying without you. We are consumed by the fact that there are needy in our community who, who need your love and grace and support and physical help, God. We are consumed by these things so much that we would be willing to change, that we would be willing to stretch ourselves, that we would be willing to step out of our comfort zone so that they could come to know you. Because Jesus, we praise you because you are the one, you are the ultimate roof wrecker. You wrecked the roof when you came down from heaven to this earth to give your life for our sins. When your body was wrecked on the cross so that we could be healed, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could experience new life. Jesus, help us to follow your example faithfully. Help us to, to be followers of you who are not afraid to make sacrifices so that others can come to know you. Lord, we, as we gather at this table, I pray that you would meet us with a renewed sense of gratitude
for your grace and a new sense of courage to share you with others. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.